Now as we come to the Holy Scripture, let's pray together. Our Lord God, we've just sung that you would take the dimness of our heart away. This is not because we're not smart, but because this is your word. These are holy things, and we need your holiness to understand them. Help us to be humble before your word, and we ask your guidance in, a, in it. Lord, by your spirit, would you show us yourself so that we might have hope. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you'd like to read along with me, we're starting now in the book of Mark. Uh, so if you'll turn to Mark's Gospel, it's in the New Testament. Uh, most of us can kind of flip there till you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're starting in Mark chapter 1. I love to hear the sound of pages turning or apps swiping. This is uh, the writing of Mark. This is the word of God. Mark chapter 1 verse one. The beginning of the gospel of Christ Jesus, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey, and he preached, saying, After me comes him who is mightier than I the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased." The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is God's word. Now, it's always exciting to me when we get to start out a new book. It's just as a, as a preacher and as a teacher, there's something kind of fresh and new. And even though it's not the first time that I've read Mark and probably not the first time that you've read it either, we're, we, we think we're pretty familiar with Jesus, right? I, I know these stories. There's always new things that kind of rise out from that. Not new because no one's ever seen them before, but because I've never seen them before. And so now as we begin Mark's gospel, I, part of this reminds me of when I was in college 
and you would have to write term papers or essays. You remember writing those? I guess some of you at some point probably wrote those by hand. Uh, but we wrote them on it. We'd sit on a computer, and I, I remember you get all your material, and you've got all the stuff that you're about to say, all the studies and everything, and you sit and you have to write that essay, and it's due soon. So you sit at the computer, and I remember my hands just resting on those keys and going click, 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 kind of tap those keys, going, how do I start this thing, right? I just got to get that ball kind of going and, and kind of sit there and sometimes I type a few things, sometimes I just hold down keys and let the letters go across just to try to get something out. And I wonder, as these four gospel writers are writing their gospel, what it felt like. They obviously didn't have computers, but when they sat down to write about this person, Jesus, how do you begin? I mean, Luke began with the birth of Jesus. In fact, we'll hear a lot from him in the coming weeks, particularly Advent and the Christmas service. He's the one that comments the most about all the circumstances around that, discusses the incarnation or the, the flesh of Jesus who has come into the world. So that's how Luke starts with the birth of Christ. And Matthew starts with the birth line of Jesus. So his parents, his parents' parents, his parents' 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 parents, all the way back to Abraham, that he was in the line of Abraham, and he was in the line of David, that he would be the king that would sit on the throne as David had. And then John starts out with the fact that Jesus, at least in one sense, was birthless that he had no birth, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was never created. He has always been God. In one sense, he was never born. But Mark just kind of skips over any birth issues at all. So that's an odd thing for us, particularly as we're coming up on Christmas. Mark starts in a very different place. Instead of discussing the birth of Christ in some way, Mark starts us in the wilderness. In verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, this voice is a particular person. It's John the Baptist, different than John, the writer of the Gospel of John. This is John the Baptist, and he looks like a wild man. I mean, if you just read the text, it's like, man, I would like to meet this guy on the street. You know, he's got the camel stuff, and there's the leather belt, and he eats wild things. There's locusts and wild honey. It's typical of Old Testament prophets to be like this. But even though he looks wild, his mind is not wild. This man is very sane. He is not crazy. And what he is saying is true. Prepare the way of the Lord. But you would never guess it from looking at this guy, right? In some ways, he reminds me of some people that I met when I was in Alaska. So in my college years, back young, single guy, you could go out and do wild, crazy things. So I spent a summer in Alaska, and at the beginning, there were 30 college guys that come up to this wild last frontier of a state that Alaska is, and they brought in some people to train us, basically to keep us from getting in too much trouble, how to deal with bears, how not to climb on the glaciers, 
And there was one man that they brought in who was a sur rescue survival guy, and he looked very much like I imagined John looked. I mean, he is flannel wearing, he had, he just looked like he belonged in Alaska. Skin like beef jerky, you know, he had that kind of leathery feel, and we all just thought he was the coolest. We, we all want to be this guy. And he's telling us all these things, and I remember when he was helping us to see how to hike mountains, he said, do not get off the trail, because if you do, you won't survive. This is a survival guy, right? It's his job to rescue people. And he says, when I, when I rescue folks, I often find them having not survived. Now, I love the wilderness. Love, love, love it. I loved Alaska. I love Missouri wilderness. I love Kansas wilderness. All the camping bits, you know, and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. Not everybody loves this, but I know we've got some deer hunters here in the room, right? Other campers, anyone else who's like, I love the wilderness. Anybody? Oh, no, a couple. Oh, oh it's a few there. I love that. So, but when we're watching this, when we watch a guy like Bear Grylls on TV, that's, you know, fighting the wilderness. There is something about the wilderness that some of us love. But I realized as I thought about this, I only love the wilderness if I can tame it, at least in some way. So our very first hike, we'll get back to the scriptures in just a minute. Allow me to kind of take a rabbit trail over here for a second. Our very first hike up a mountain was Mount McGinnis. And there were four of us that went up. The guy who was leading us had never been on it before, but he was this big kind of hulky guy. And, uh, and so we, we hike up and we had no trouble getting up. It took hours, got to the top, and it was the most disappointing view ever. It was just cloudy. But on the trip down, we're sort of talking and realized, as we're going through these hours, discussing things, going, tripping down the mountain, that we had lost the trail somehow. The trails aren't these nice little sidewalks. They're generally like things tied to trees every once in a while, or piles of stone. That's how you know where to go. And we looked, and someone said, where, where's the next flag? And we couldn't find it. And I remember the utter terror that I felt. This flood of fear that I remembered the guy who had given us the warning at the beginning, do not get off the trail because you will die. And I thought, I, I started to imagine, I'm not coming home. Now, we did get off, we did find it. We, weren't, we had only skipped to the left just a little bit. Okay, I'm here. Obviously, I did not die. But that sense that the wilderness now has control over me and the flood of fear that comes with that. Suddenly, in a moment like this, we feel the weight of the wild. Now, Mark is talking about a very different wilderness than Alaskan wilderness or even than Missouri wilderness. 
this is a real place. There's real people as John the Baptist and these people are going into what is called the wilderness. This is in the Strip, right near the Jordan River in the Middle East. And so John's talking about an actual place, right? As he writes his gospel, he has to record events as they actually happened. He's not making stuff up. There's real places. There's real people. As the gospel went out, there were others who could go, wait a minute, John, or wait a minute, Mark. That's not the way it happened. So he had to report true things. However, Mark is not just reporting bald facts. He's not just listing trivia. This is not just a biography. When John and Matthew and Luke and, and who am I missing? Mark? When the four gospel writers are writing their gospels, they're writing things in, in a particular place with a particular story. They're telling true things as they happened, but they're putting together in such a way that we will get some deeper truth. So when Mark begins with the wilderness, he starts there on purpose. And this is different than camping. This is different than the mountains. This is different than adventure. This is different than just the great outdoors. When scripture is discussing the wilderness, very often it talks about it as a place that is deserted, desolate, empty, lonely, full of judgment and curse and sin and death. In fact, if you'll remember, the most famous place where Scripture's talking about wilderness is right after the people, God's people, have been brought out of Egypt. So God brought the ten plagues on the nation of Egypt and brought his people out. You'll remember this, right? This ends with Passover. And so now the people are going through the wilderness and God is bringing them into what he calls the promised land, the land that will be their home, a place of safety and security where he will be their God and they will be his people. But they're scared to cross the Jordan River because the people over there are big and we can't fight them. And so the Lord brings judgment on the people of Israel and leaves them to wander in the wilderness. This is discussed a number of places, but you'll, we'll read out of Numbers chapter 14, just a few verses here. Numbers 14, starting in verse 31. This is the Lord speaking here. Your little ones, he's speaking to Israel, your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring them in and they will know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and you will suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you will know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this I will do to all the wicked congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they will come to a full end, and there they will die." That's not the kind of thing that we want, right? But they're put in the wilderness as a judgment, and it's in this very same wilderness, this very same geography that Jesus 
steps into in this text in Mark, starting in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, into the wilderness, and Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and angels were ministering to him. It's in this wilderness that Jesus experienced thirst and hunger, temptation, and the pain of the curse. Jesus was in the wild. Now, that's a heavy thing, but I love, love, love that Mark starts us here. And here's why. Because to me, this shows me that Mark gets it. He knows what it's like. He gets where we live, that we live in this wilderness. Our lives are flooded with sin and the effects of sin, that even though we were created to have dominion over the earth, that now sin has become our master. And if we sit with that for a moment, we know that that's true. If you've ever felt caught up or strangled in particular sins that you just cannot shake, the emptiness and desolation that comes with that. And we don't know what to do. We live in this wilderness, and so sometimes we respond by just making it okay. We just go ahead and build a house in the wilderness. We set up a picket fence in the wilderness. We raise our kids in the wilderness. But we don't want to live there. This is where we're no different than the people here that are going out to John the Baptist. You'll see in verse 4, John appeared and he's baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people are going out at the end of verse 5 confessing their sin. They're not coming out and claiming particular things and showing how good they are. They're coming out showing their repentance, showing their need for forgiveness, showing a confession of sin. They, too, live in the wild. This is their home. But while they live in the wild, Jesus steps into it. And you'll notice how he, res he responds here to this situation of a people who live in the wild. He does not ignore their situation or ignore their sin. In fact, at the end, he's calling them to repentance and belief. So he's not just going, ah, if we don't think about it, it will be fine. He looks at it in the face. Jesus also does not rub their face in it. Look at what you did. Look at the things you've thought. Look at the people you've hurt. He does not take their sin and mush it into them. Right? We shouldn't do that either. We shouldn't do that to others. We should not do that to ourselves. Do not rub your face in your sin. Jesus also does not leave them to wander the wilderness alone. 
Because while they and we are living in the wilderness, he is stepping into the wilderness. This one whose sandals, who John was not worthy to untie, this man Jesus from Nazareth, now goes out to the Jordan River, and then he goes further out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan himself. Jesus, instead of just leaving things alone, rolls up his sleeves, gets his hands dirty, develops those wild calluses on his hands to do something that we cannot do. Because you'll notice in the text that all these people are coming out to be baptized, specifically it says, as a, as a repentance for forgiveness of sin. They are seeking forgiveness. But even though Jesus comes out to be baptized, it does not say that he comes out for repentance or that he comes out needing forgiveness. So then why does this man Jesus, who was well-pleased of God, who had experienced perfect obedience of the law, why does he why does he go through this baptism? He does it to identify with us, to be one of us. And so while the people of Israel went out for 40 years in the wilderness for judgment of sin, Jesus goes out in 40 days to bear the weight of the curse, to bear the weight of the wild for us. That's the reason why Mark starts out, the very first words are the beginning of the gospel, which the word gospel literally means good news. This is good news, that he would bear the weight of the wilderness for us. Last bit here, this is why the writer of Hebrews uh, talks about it this way in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 Therefore, he, this is a discussion of Jesus, therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." Look at the line of thought here. I'll read that last verse again. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Since he has suffered temptation, since he has become like us, since he has been tempted just like we are, then he is able to help. And the writer here using the word help is not talking about Jesus as a cheerleader. Yay, yay, you can do it. Different kind of help. He's not also talking about Jesus here as a help in merely calling, hey, come to me. This word help talks about Jesus bringing aid to them, being a savior to them, basically doing CPR to a body that's on the edge of death. 
And you look at the line of thought in the verse before. It's the same sort of thing, that Christ has become like us, that he's become like his brothers in every respect, so that the reason why he's become like us is so that he would be a priest, that he would represent us, and that he would bring propitiation. Or maybe your, your Bibles translate it atonement. He would bring atonement. Basically, he's bringing sacrifice in our place to satisfy the guilt of sin, the wrath of God, and the weight of the wild. This is our God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who stepped into the wild for us so that we might be brought out of the wild and into the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord our God, your kindness to us is so great. We don't even know the extent of our wild hearts. We know our sin. We know that we've rebelled against you, and we know that in some ways we are lost as wanderers in a wild and rebellion against you. Lord, we are without hope except in you. Thank you for stepping into our space, for representing us, for taking the pain and shame of guilt and the wrath of God in our place. And because of this, we trust you and we have hope. We, th we give you all thanks, our Lord, and we give you all praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In response to this now, uh, we'll stand and sing if you'll turn to hymn number 160.